0: om Yogena Chittasya padena vacham malam sharirasya cha vaidyakena yopa pravaram muninam patanjalim pranjali danatosmi I prostrated with folded hands before Patanjali who benefited mankind by delivering yoga for mind, grammar for speech and by removing impurities of the body through medicine. So in the last class we were studying the 15th sutra of the second chapter which speaks of the various miseries. The miseries in our life, what is the cause behind that? It was indicated that for the Viveki, the one who is discriminating, all the experiences are taken to be the cause for suffering. Even the so-called apparent happiness of our life. A Viveki a discriminating person considers them to be the cause of misery. Why? In the sutra, we found they cited four reasons. Just as a quick recapitulation of the sutra, that what the sutra speaks: parinama tapa sanskar, dukkhai guna vritti virodhatcha. Dukkham eva sarvam vivekina That everything, sarvam, entails in Dukkha, in suffering. Why? Because of four reasons. Parinama is the first, Tapa the second, Saṃskāra the third, and Guna Vritti Virodha the fourth. In short, we have studied it in details. In short, let us indicate what they mean. Parinama means in this life as everything is flowing, nothing we can consider to be permanent. The nature gives us in bounty at certain point of time and takes away everything at certain point of time. You will find that at the beginning of the life when a young man is bubbling with inspiration, aspirations, everything seems to be very, very optimistic. There's a good job, there's a good relations, everything is there. But we all know, if we are not short-sighted, that this is not going to be through eternity. The more we get attached to this so-called, this flitting pleasures of life, when the nature will snatch them away, which is bound to happen, the more intense will be the suffering. The more intense is our happiness, by getting involved with the sensed pleasures of life, the more intense is the suffering. Why? Because of the Parinam, that nothing is going to stay with you through eternity. The so-called sensed pleasures of life. Yes, something is going to stay with you through eternity. That is your real nature. But to hear what the Dukkha has been spoken of as our identification with the so-called the sensed pleasures of life which are bound to come to an end. So if we are not short sighted, then we should be always aware of the fact that these things are going to end. But as in the last class we were indicating that doesn't mean that we should not get involved with life. It more speaks of an awareness than any physical act. As we were telling that what actual detachment means what actual renunciation means? So we are giving the example of a small child going to the child care center for the first time. It cries because it was quite comfortable with the surroundings of his own home. He was the king of his own backyard or the queen of his own backyard, and was quite happy. He found himself to be the master of the house. A child is a master a simple cry a simple want is immediately taken care of by the entire family and now for the first time he is unplugged he is taken out from that situation or she is taken out and for the first time when going to the childcare center what we find that she or he finds himself or herself in a very unknown uh, circumstances and doesn't feel secure So that we find at the very beginning, it cries. And after a few days, it develops friendship with the other children, with the staff, throughout the day busy with playing with others. And now we find another different thing is happening. What's happening? Now there is no crying when the parent comes to drop the child. Now there's crying when the parent comes to take them back to home because they don't want to leave their play. Again, it continues for few days. And then we find a time comes when there is no crying, neither at the time when they're dropped nor at the time when they're taken away. What has happened? The sense of detachment has developed. In this process of every day, coming to the childcare center and again going away in this process, the child very quickly, most probably within a month have learned that this is not the permanent place. This is a temporary place. My real place is my own home with my parents. Every day morning, the parent will drop me here. Evening, they will take me back. But that doesn't entail that the child will not mix up with the other children and sit in the corner thinking that after all, it's a transitory thing. I shouldn't get involved. He gets involved, playing, having his joy and happiness with others, sharing with them his own joy and happiness. But as the awareness has developed that this is something temporary, what happens? We find that there is no crying either at the time when it's dropped or when it's taken away. So this is the real idea of that spiritually getting detached. It doesn't mean that physically we have to be detached. That awareness should always be there. That after all, this is all transitory. This will all pass off. I shouldn't take them to be the be-all and end-all of my existence. So that's what is indicated by the term Parinama. Viveki is always aware of that and is dealing with the life with that awareness. That's why in English there's a wonderful that uh, saying, the price of purity is vigilance. The more we become spiritually aware we become more and more vigilant. At each and every moment, that vigilance is always there. alert vigilance. It doesn't speak that I'm stressing myself out. It becomes spontaneous. That vigilance is something spontaneous. It is there. It has become your habit. And you never find yourself in a false situation. Your vigilance is always there to save you, to guide you. And that has been spoken of as the first, the Parinama. Next, the Tapa. Now, some may say, why to waste my happiness by thinking what's going to come? Now, this is the moment to enjoy, let me enjoy. You'll find even if I try to forget about what's going to happen and think, let me get, let me delve deep into the pleasures of life. You find it's not possible. Somewhere in the corner of your mind, you will find there is Tapa, worry. What's the worry? till the thing which I am anticipating to get till the thing which I'm desiring to get I'm yet to get it the object which I'm yet to get it till I get it there's a constant worry what's that worry I may not get it whether it's wealth whether it is position in life or whether it's a relation yet when I'm yet not successful that constant worry is there I may not be successful and not only that When I have got it, again that worry is there, I may lose it. That's what has been described in yoga as the worry related to Yoga Kshema. Yoga means attainment, Kshema means preservation. Here yoga is not in the spiritual sense, in the sense of attainment, to get unified with the desired object, desired goal, that is yoga. As long as you are trying to get unified, there is worry that I may not get it. And even when you got it, again, the worry is not leaving you. Anytime I may lose it. The rich man doesn't have sleep at night. He may have billions of dollars, but he's worried about missing even a single million. For him, one million is nothing, but he's worried. Even that Swami Vivekanth has given an example, a billionaire, when he was in the States, A multimillionaire committed suicide because he lost just 1 million, which is a fortune for any other poor person, it's a fortune. What has happened? This happiness is relative, That, that worry never leaves us, that how much wealth you have, that doesn't entail happiness. The happiness is a state of mind where it is having no worry, it is carefree, but when we are attached to the... Sensed pleasures of the world, the worry is bound to come. Anytime I may lose it, this fear. So that's, we find that we can never have unadulterated happiness. First, because of parinama, the consequence. Second, because of the worry, constant worry, which is always associated with all the so called pleasures of life. The third is the samskar. We find that when there is a tremendous urge for, satiating our desires. We forget one thing we, th- we always think, let me go for it. Why to torture myself? Let me go and just fulfill my desire. But what a pitiable condition. The moment you fulfill your desire, you find your desire has become still more intense. It never gets satiated. For the time being, it gets satiated and it has created a deep groove, deeper and deeper groove in your mind Where the latent impressions are getting stronger and the next time the desire comes with a greater force more force and at last you find that like a bee you came to suck honey and you at the beginning you thought you're enjoying the honey you sat on the honey and you were enjoying and at last you find that you have got stuck in the honey your wings have got stuck in the honey there's no way out So that's what has been spoken of as the Sangskara, that when we go out to enjoy the desires of life, at last we find it is the desires, the so-called desires which is constantly rusting our, as if rusting the core of our being, it is just totally rusting out. So that's what has been spoken of as the Sangskara and what is the Guna Vritti Virodha That's what speaks of the apparent happiness which never allows us to see the real danger in it. The real misery in it. Apparently, it seems so nice. There's a guna and vritti virodha. Vritti means the knowledge which comes from the objects of knowledge. And what's the guna? Guna speaks of the real nature. So you will find this constant virodha what's the constant virodha the things which i think to be pleasurable for the other three causes as we have already discussed we find at last it is going to give us the misery it's never satiated if you see the nature of the pleasure it's there it's never there to give us a sense of satisfaction it's never going to give us satisfaction all the so called happiness of life are has been programmed by the nature to make us do certain thing by which the nature is sustained. So we are actually been fooled by the nature. The happiness has been used by is has been used as a tool by the nature to make us do certain thing by which it is sustained. You will find that all the happiness at last can be boiled down to three types of desires. That we find happiness where the desires are fulfilled. Now all the desires at last can be boiled down as per our scriptures, as per the Vedanta, into three desires, Putreshana, Vitaishana and Yashayishana. The desire for progeny, the desire for wealth and the desire for name and fame. And all the three at last you will find is actually related to the sustenance of nature. The desire for progeny, we need not explain. With the progeny, the nature is sustained. It continues. The wealth, that also we can understand to a certain extent. That if I don't sustain myself, how can I think of progeny? So yes, the desire for wealth is also related to the sustenance of nature. I sustain myself and in turn, I, the nature gets sustained through the progenies. And the desire for name and fame. That also is linked to the sustenance of nature. How? That may it may not be palpably visible in the human society. Let us go to the animal kingdom. You will find the male lion has its own territory. The male monkey has its own territory. It won't allow any other male members to enter within that. Why? The more it can ensure its territory, the more it has the chance of propagating by uh, delivering the genes. So its genes can be uh, transferred to the next generation if that territory is entered, which speaks of power, which speaks of Yasha, name and fame. The same thing, now you just relate to your, as as a human being, that all our endeavor for name and fame is at last to get the proper met through which my genes will be propagated. So it has also to something to do with the propagation of nature. Now, what has nature done? For all these three, you will find there is no other sensed pleasures of life apart from these three. You just three. at last you will find this all your so-called uh, the desires can be boiled down to these three. And when you fulfill these desires, there's tremendous happiness. Why that nature has equipped us in such a way that where the fulfillment of the desire is happiness? It's not because to give us happiness. You will find a wonderful thing. If you find the nature of happiness, you will find that nature never intends to give us happiness. Because whenever any desire is fulfilled, either because of Putrashana or because of Vitteshana or because of Yashaishana, whatever it may be, the moment the desire is fulfilled, we find we are at the peak of ecstasy but the next moment it is not there it evaporates first the first point is you get happiness but it never stays the third point is still more interesting the next time when i am uh, when i am about to reach out again for this desires what i find is some interesting thing what i find i find that I always remember the peak. I forget the evaporation. I always remember the positive sides of it. I always forget the negative sides of it. And that makes a thief to go for a robbery, always thinking that I will at last get the wealth, that I may be caught, it never comes to his mind. The nature has fooled us that way. It always thinks a positive thing you will find that we all, whenever we think of our past, it appears always to be golden. Why? The nature has devised us in such a way that all the negativities are filtered out. Only the positive things you remember. In the childhood, we had both the positive as well as the negative aspects of life. We had so many moments of joy. We had the moments of struggles. But when, as an adult, we just try to remember retrieve back our past life remember back we always think it's so golden because the nature has equipped us in that way why otherwise we won't be motivated to in our pursuit for pleasure and the fourth you will always find another point very important that in anticipation there is more joy than the real act whenever you're planning to get happiness in any any of the particular ways just from the morning you are planning to go out and have some dinner and just with the family or with your friends, then you had a thrill. But when you're already there you will find you have reached a some plateau. The thrill has gone that you thought that while I am there I will be enjoying and you find it's just a monotonous thing going on. Why? That Why happiness is an anticipation? Because the nature's work is done. When you are anticipating, nature gives the maximum happiness to motivate you to do the thing. When you are already doing, the nature's work is done. So why, what is the need for giving you happiness? You find it has become a drudgery now. So now if you really study the nature of happiness, you will find that happiness is a tool used by nature to make us the things, to make us to do certain things by which it is sustained. It is in no way going to give us joy, happiness. So this is the guna vritti virodha, the real nature of happiness because of the guna and what I am thinking of it is the vritti, the jnana which comes out of it. There is a virodha, this constant, there is a friction between these two. These two never conforms to each other and thus if you really try to find out the nature of so-called happiness of life At last, if you are discriminating, you will find that they all entail misery. So after saying this, now the Yoga Sutra will go to the next Sutra, that as everything entails in Dukkha, so naturally our endeavour should be to avoid them. But can we avoid the miseries of life? So that will be spoken of in the next Sutra. So now I will share the screen uh, so that you can also refer to the Sutra. So this is the 16th sutra, is heyam dukkham anagatam. The pain which is yet to come is to be discarded. As we told the sutras are always very small, it's just like the notes which you have prepared for for your examination, that throughout the year you are studying the subject, while studying the subject you have prepared some notes. Why? the night before the exam, the day before the exam, when you go through the notes, now you don't have to read exhaustively. Just those hints, those points, will help you to recapitulate what you have already read. The sutras actually are intended for that. Just imagine the time when there the press was not there, the printing was not there, the everything has to be memorized. So now it was a big challenge. So they used to, keep their knowledge in this cryptic form. This cryptic knowledge, what, uh, what actually speaks of, most probably they have discussed it, the guru, the teacher has discussed with the student all these things in elaboration. And now just to keep it in their memory, they have converted into this cryptic small, this sutras just by uh, Reading that sutra or just remembering that sutra, the entire knowledge immediately flashes. So that's why now the sutras, when we read, it needs an elaborate explanation because they are the cryptic form behind which a lot of thoughts are actually encoded. So, what's the encoded message behind this small sutra? Heam dukkham anagatam. So, let's try to understand that. So, now in our scriptures, It has been spoken of that there are three types of action, karma. One is Sanchita, the second is Prarabdha and the third one is called Kriyamana or Agami. What actually speaks of Sanchita means accumulated works. Prarabdha means the works which have started fructifying. And Kriyamana means the current actions which I am doing for which I will reap the results in future. That's why it is also called Agami, in future. So what is speaking of Sanchita? Means whatever action I do, immediately the latent impression is formed. It's not lost. The moment you enjoy a delicacy, the memory of it is there in your mind. The same delicacy, maybe after 10 years, suddenly you see, immediately you feel tempted to get it, to have it. Why? Because the memory is there. It is never lost. So there are innumerable such latent impressions in your mind. So all the actions which I have done, the latent impressions which has been created by that is there in the storehouse of my subconscious mind that has been spoken of as the Sanchita. And all those that is stored all doesn't entail. all doesn't result in reaping, all doesn't reap the results immediately. Most of them are stored, some start fructifying. Some, only a few start fructifying. There's the example which we gave so many times that as a student, most probably a student is good in all the subjects. He is really interested in all the subjects, the language, the social science, the science, mathematics. And when in the higher secondary, his course, he gets good grades and these grades enable him to get admitted in some professional course, maybe medical or engineering. Now, what will happen? The moment that student is in the medical college, the liking for other subjects gets shadowed only the liking for the medical science, for the biological science that gets manifested. So what is happening that though the liking for all of the subjects are there, but as per the situation, only a particular liking is manifesting. So that's what, and now accordingly, those that which is manifested accordingly, his actions will take him through that medical course because of this special liking, the others are hidden. Most probably as a student, he had some inkling for his liking for music. But in his endeavor for the medical course, for the timing, it was shadowed, later in the life they may again manifest. So what all have started fructifying as per the situation of life, they are the Prarabdha. And the, what is Kriyamana, whatever actions at present am doing. They also will create, they also will just go deep into my psyche and be stored there to be fructified in future. So these are the three types of actions which our scriptures speak of. Now when they say, dukkham anagatam, The misery which is yet to come, you have to stop. It speaks something that there are certain causes for which I have to go through the suffering. I cannot stop. The actions which have started fructifying, its experiences, I cannot avoid. It will be there. But I shouldn't accrue new, new, uh, what you say, the impressions. What's the way out? How to do it? That we have to understand. And how can I just get rid of the already the things which are accumulated? The thing which has started fructifying, I have no hand over it, but the storehouse, of all the latent impressions that also I can get rid of. I can get rid of the present actions. I can get rid of all the past actions which are yet to fructify. How is it possible? Before trying to understand that, that our scriptures give a wonderful example to understand these three types of karma. And that, that example makes the thing very clear. So I will just resort to that example first to understand what these three types of karma is actually intending to uh, speak of. What are the three types of karmas? The Sanchita, Prarabdha, and Kriyamana. The scripture gives the example of a bowman, a hunter who has gone into the forest to hunt. He is a bowman, he has a lot of arrows in the quiver on the back of his shoulder, and has a bow in his hand. Now, most probably he sees a bird on the branch of a tree and now intends to shoot it with the arrow. So he takes out a, uh, what you say that an arrow from the quiver and puts it on the bow and shoots it. The first arrow has been shot before it has reached the target. The bowman thinks, that it, I may miss the target. Before it has uh, sh- strike the target, it takes out the second arrow, puts it on the bow and is about to shoot it. And then we find a wonderful thing has happened. Now suddenly the idea came into the mind of that bowman. I shouldn't kill. I shouldn't kill. So what is happening? The arrow which has been shot it has no control over that. If it hits, if it is going to hit, it is then going, it is going to kill the bird. If it has missed, it is the bird will be saved. But there is no way he, the arrow which has been shot he has control over. But the arrow which was about to shoot, now he gets he will be restricting. He won't shoot it. And all the arrows which are in the quiver on the back of his shoulder, those also he is not going to use anymore. So all the arrows which are on the quiver, they are the storehouse of all the past impressions, the Sanchita. The arrow which I'm going to shoot, that is the Kriyamana, whose result will be in the future. That's why it is Agami. That also have control. I'm going to restrict, I'm not going to shot. But have I any control over the arrow which I've already shot? No. So that's why they say the actions for which the results have started fructifying, I have no control over that. Ramakrishna used to say, it very jokingly, very nicely, that a blind man went to have, just take a dip in the Ganges. So this, we, we, we the general, uh, our belief is that when you ha- have a dip in the Holy Ganges, in the Holy River, all your sins are washed away. And Ramakrishna very jokingly is saying that a blind man went to take a deep in the Ganges his sins were washed away but the reason most probably some short of impure acts resulted in his blindness in this birth that has already started fructifying that, that results for the results of the actions of the past birth has resulted in the blindness. So Ramakrishna is saying that all his sins are washed away but his blindness that is not cured because that is the prarabdha. So nicely that it is thrown in a joking way Ramakrishna is saying that. So that's the idea. The actions which has already started yielding result, I have almost no hand over that. Now with this example we understand. Now the question is, in a spiritual life, how we can get rid of the Sanchita Karma? The actions which are already stored in one go, they can be all washed off. How? When the spiritual life is no more restricted to mere beliefs that that for most of us are happy with certain belief. That's not the real religion. That's good for the beginner. It's good to have a belief, but that belief should motivate me to take the spiritual journey very sincerely and go to a type, a realization, just spirituality actually entails in realization What's the real real realization is whether you are a believer in God, whether you're a devotee that you believe God is I am and there's an eternal relation. As Jesus also used to say very nicely, it is the soul, the spirit should worship the spirit. If I think myself as this ordinary human being and God also as an ordinary human being, then the worship becomes as good as any ordinary love. Because I know that if I not already love the person whom I love, he is going to die. And I am also going to die. It is not eternal. But when I am worshipping the Lord, behind that you will find a wonderful idea is there that I am eternal. I am not going to die as a spirit, I am everlasting. The Lord is also everlasting. So as a devotee, you find what's the thing? You are negating the idea that you are a limited being. The same thing happens with a jnani, when he thinks that I am the conscious being. I am not this body, not the mind, not the senses. The same thing through knowledge also he's doing constantly negating his limited existence. And very interesting, all our desires are actually tagged to, hooked up with the sense of that limited identity. So it's like like a will, our so-called individuality is like a will the hub is that amnes, that limited amnes, that I am this limited being. The hub of that will is that. And all the desires are like the spokes. Now, when I am aware of a particular desire and I find that it is harming my life, just say that I have become diabetic. <clears throat> so I have to, but I like sweet. I, with my will, I get rid of, I somehow get rid of my liking for sweet things sweet food, but other spokes are there to keep the will of my individuality intact. So that's not the way I can really so-called get rid of my limited personality. How can I get rid of? Not by removing one spoke, but the other spokes are there to still keep the will of your individuality intact. The only way is take out the hub. All the, the entire will collapses at a time. So the spiritual, in the spiritual life, that's the thing, when a devotee is contemplating on the divine and negating his limited individuality, or a jnani who is constantly thinking that I am not this limited being, I am the witness, eternal witness, or like a Buddhist who doesn't bother about the ultimate reality but is constantly detaching itself from the flow. All the three different practices may appear different. But they are programmed in such a way that they do the same thing to get rid of the hub of this limited individuality and then the entire so-called all the spokes, the Sanchita Karma, they collapse at a time. So we that's why they say that when the Asampragyata Samadhi, when you reach the ultimate realization through the Viveka Khyati, the constant discrimination, then the Sanchita Karma, all the Karmas fall off. And the agami karma the, 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 means the kriyamana, what I am, the actions which I am doing at present. They also get nullified if I don't have the idea of karta, that I am the doer. The idea that you are the doer is just like the electricity which is revolving the fan. You remove that, the fan won't stop immediately. When you switch off the fan, the fan doesn't stop immediately because of the past impast impulse. It continues for some time. And gradually it stops. So agami karma or the kriyamana karma actually speaks of that to switch off. The product will continue. <clears throat> Still the wheel will the fan will go on rotating for some time because of the past impulse. But it doesn't have that continuous force to continue because the sense of doer has been removed. So if how it can be done, a devotee can do it by nimitta bhava that. I am just a mere instrument in the hands of the divine all the good qualities are not mine. the divine has implanted in my heart to take care of his creation. when I love the child it is not I who love the child that love is something which God has designed has planned and has implanted in my heart and through that he is taking care of his creation taking care of his creation I am just a mere instrument the sense of doer is can be get you can get rid of with this Nimitta Bhava or the Shakshi Bhava. If you feel that I have don't have the devotional temperament. But if I have the Shakshi, that witness, that all the actions, this all this is a flitting, is flow. The I am just the observer. The, I'm just the silent witness of all these things. That is that, as per the temperament, all may not have that emotional. Uh, fervor, the devotional fervor, yes then have a sense of detachment. That also will serve the same purpose of how like switching off, that in the moment you detach yourself you become the shakshi or you think yourself to be the instrument of the divine and you become the nimitta as has been spoken of in the Bhagavad Gita, Bhagavan is instructing Arjuna almost in the last that nimitta matra bhava savya It's I who am doing everything you just become the instrument. So that also gives the sense of detachment. When you do this too, then all the actions which I'm doing, actions are never the cause of bondage. The attitude behind that, whether you have attachment or you do it in a detached way, that actually speaks of the bondage. So Agami Karma can be nullified with the agency, by removing the idea of karta. that I am just the Nimitta. If I'm devotee, I think I'm just the Nimitta. If I am a jnani, I think I am just the shakshi and that way I can get rid of the kriyamana. So that they, won't, that they won't result in the future. Uh, they won't yield in the future any results. They won't yield any results in the future. So I can that, that's how I can get rid of the sanchita by the viveka khyati. but agami karma I can get rid of this nimitta bhava or the sakshi bhava but the prarabdha that goes on yielding its result. Now you may say that even with all the spiritual realization, am I to suffer? No. The world sees it as as if I'm going through those experiences, but subjectively I know it is not me. The body mind, because of its past action, is going through certain experiences, not the real me. I can detach myself. So even a realized soul, when is experiencing the is experiencing the prarabdha, it is actually the one who is seeing. He feels that he is experiencing. But the one who has really realized, he subjectively feels it is just the body-mind going through some experiences. It's not me. It's the body-mind because of the past experiences going through that. And is totally detached. So that way, actually, he is not, or she is not, uh, what you say, uh, experiencing the prarabdha also. So this is the idea which has been spoken of in this sutra that to get detached is the only thing which enters in the real spirituality. In whatever way I do it, whether as a Bhakta, whether as a Jnani or as a Yogi, whatever way I do it, that's the goal. That's why in Bhagavatam very nicely it has been told that when a thief is thinking of stealing something, does he think that what is the righteous way of stealing? There's nothing called righteous way of stealing. Yena tena prakarena by hook or by crook, I have to get it. So the here Bhagavatam is very nicely, in one place it's saying, a devotee should also have that same type of attitude. Any way possible. Yena Tena Prakarena Krishna Mano That by any way, whether it's by Jnana, Bhakti, don't just be biased. Whatever you feel is uh, according to your temperament, go for it and get detached and be released. And that's the idea it is spoken of in the Sutra, this heyam dukkham anagatam. That what has started fructifying, I have no control over it, but the, all the actions which are accumulated and actions which are going to act to result because of my present actions, that I can nullify. So that's what is meant by anagatam, the things, the uh, results which has, which are yet to come. I can get rid of them. So once you become a Viveki and understand that this world so as such advertises a lot but gives nothing. And then the detachment comes. And the detachment again entails not physical. We are, we seek not, avoid not. In whatever situation life has placed us, we are happy with it. We neither seek for some different situation by avoiding this situation, and we ni- means neither we are seeking nor we are avoiding. We know that we have to be in this situation. There is no way out. But it is the attitude which is more important than any physical separation. And of course, it does. Uh, it entails that I won't be aspiring for the things which, which, I, which I have already understood is not going to take me anywhere, is going to result in misery alone. So I'm not going to pursue them. So that has been spoken of in the 16th Sutra. The next Sutra speaks of the cause of all the misery. How, what's, what's the cause of misery? In just, again, the Sutras are very simple. Drashtri, Drishayo samyoga heya hetu. The conjunction of the one who is witnessing and the thing which is witnessed. Then there is a conjunction of these two, samyoga. So that becomes the cause of all the suffering. Here means the thing which is to be avoided. Dukkham has to be avoided. So indirectly, the suffering has been indicated by the term here. So what is the cause of that here? Unless I know the cause, I cannot get rid of it. The cause is this: some yoga, this <clears throat> attachment, association. That in the scripture they give a very nice example. When the red flower is in vicinity of a prism, the prism appears red. Has it really become red? No, because of its vicinity, because of the prism's vicinity of the red flower, it appears red. Similarly, the conscious principle in association with the Prakriti. The conscious principle never gets distorted. But in association with the Prakriti, it appears to be tinged with all the so-called dualities of the nature. The joy, the the happiness, the suffering, all these uh, dualities which are actually of the nature the Purusha. The conscious principle which is actually not getting affected by things as if it has got affected by it. It sees its reflection and takes the reflection to be real. Just as we have told so many times the story of the Narcissus, uh, the word Narcissistic in English means one who is extremely self-possessed who thinks only of himself or herself. Never give importance to any relations. Is Narcissistic, that word came from a legendary character Narcissus that Narcissus was a very handsome prince, he was so possessed by his own beauty that he forgot all his responsibilities as a prince of a royal state. He forgot the responsibilities. Whenever time permitted, he will go uh, on the backyard of the palace into the forest. He will go through the backyard, he will go to the forest and there was a huge reservoir. He will stand by the in the bank of the reservoir, and she sees his own reflection in the transparent, clear water. And he used to get absorbed by his own beauty. And one day he was so absorbed, so infatuated by the reflection, he thought the reflection to be real and tried to embrace it. He jumped into the reservoir, drowned and died. So that's the narcissist. From that, the word narcissistic has come. In spiritual sense, we are all narcissistic. We, the conscious principle, seeing our reflection in this body-mind complex, take that reflection to be real. We dive into it, delve deep into it, get identified it, and that's the cause of our spiritual death. And that's the cause of the suffering. That has been indicated by the sutra, drashtri, drishyaya samyala. Drishya, the thing which you are seeing is the drishya. The one who is seeing is the drashtrak. This Samyoga is a cause of all the suffering. Now what is this Drishya? That will be spoken of in the next Sutra. Very nice. Most probably today we cannot cover it entirely, but you will find it actually is extremely scientific. That what is Drishya? What I am seeing? What actually it is? Such a nice Sutra. This 18th and the 19th Sutra. These two Sutras describe the entire panorama. And at last you will see this entire panorama for which the science is there with exhaustive study. And here in the Yoga Sutra, just in two sutras he is describing, how is it possible? The science is going in such a details with so many branches, so many discoveries. And here there's just, they have only uh, allotted two sutras for it. But once you go through the sutras, you will find a wonderful thing. That yes, the paradigm, the angle from which it is speaking, it actually exhaustively speaks of the entire panorama. That's why that we will find that this uh, sentence you should remember that Vedanta and Yoga is not interested about the details which our Indriyas are showing. It's not actually bothered about the details. It is bothered about, it is questioning the Indriya itself, the mind and how it is working. It is not questioning that what it is seeing, how it is seeing. And if you just try to find out how it is seeing, in, you will find that how this mind is projecting the universe, how it and is that it, it is actually uh, following a particular norm to project this universe. That norm which has been followed by the mind, by the senses, in association with the Conscious Principle. The Conscious Principle just activates the mind just like uh, today with this sutra will take some time we'll take up again in the next class just today to give an example that what's the prakriti like it's just like the chip of your computer it appears if you know that if the entire civilization is destroyed today as so after another thousand years from the excavation they get this computer chip and they won't know they will think most probably it is something i like a dead log wood, lifeless thing. They won't know that if electricity passes through it, if you give a bias voltage, it can create a vast world of virtual reality. They won't know. That's what the Prakriti is like. It is something dead unless the Purusha, the conscious principle is there to activate it. Once it is activated, the way the chip following some programming, creates the world of virtual reality. This Prakriti also follows a particular programming to create this world of virtual reality. So that actually that what the programming it follows, what's the way it is projecting this world of virtual reality that has been spoken of in this 18th and the 19th Sutra. So let us just try to have an. as some the time is permitting. We will just have a, uh, overview of it and we will take it up in details in the next class what is speaking of this prakasha kriya sthiti shilam bhutendriya atmakam bhoga apavarga artham drishyam so drishyam the thing which is experienced the thing which i am saying is composed only of two things the organs and the elements you will understand when I'm seeing a red flower, the red flower is the element which at present I think is outside. But actually when we will discuss before, it, it is not outside. What I am seeing is not a thing outside. The thing outside is just a mere suggestion which goes into my mind through the senses and is projected. What is projected that I see. I don't see actually what is coming in. What I see is what is projected by the mind. And that the thing which is projected by the mind is actually spoken of as Bhuta. Bhuta is not something outside. We will come to the discussion gradually. But at present, you also will understand that when I'm seeing the red flower, what are the two things? The red flower is the Bhuta, and my eye and the mind are the organs. So the entire thing which I'm seeing is composed of these two things the Bhuta and the Indriya, and is the nature of Prakasha Kriya Sthiti. Prakasha is the nature of illumination action and inertia what actually is speaking of illumination when i'm seeing the flower through my eyes something is getting illumined all the sense perceptions is illuminate illuminating me so all the perceptions are illumination and action what the action speaks of the moment i see the red flower the morning i wake up from the window i just look outside to my garden and see a wonderful red rose and most probably I am a devoted person. I have the idea of offering flowers to the divine and the action ensues now. Once I see what happens, I move out. I just pluck the flower, bring it in inside and in my altar, the, the small altar, which I have in my own house, there I go and offer it to the divine. So this is the action. So what has happened? The illumination has happened. And from the illumination, from the illumination, illumination speaks of the perception of the red flower An action has ensued so that i can easily understand this and kriya and what actually is sthiti the sthiti is something very important it speaks of the way i am perceiving you see when i was sleeping the idea of the red flower was already there in my mind if the idea of flower is not there that red flower is what the redness its fragrance its shape all these ideas are there in the mind. When the flower is perceived, all those centers of perceptions are activated. Till they are activated, all the knowledge is there hidden in the mind. It's not that the knowledge comes, is, uh, sometimes we have the idea that our mind is something blank, uh, and knowledge is something like pouring into that blank pot. It's like an empty pot, and knowledge is something like water. I'm pouring it into it, and the Mind is getting filled with knowledge. No, it is just like a library. You go to the library. How you? What you do? You do the book which you want. You just say the librarian the accession number, and the librarian now goes to the exact place and bring out the thing. So the thing was already there. The accession number you say. He goes and picks up the book. The mind is also something. All the ideas are there. The library is full of books are the tamas why it is tamas unless you read the book that book has no utility but it is there with its so-called knowledge stored knowledge there so all the ideations are there in the mind when i'm sleeping my mind is not just simply empty it has the faculty of we will discuss it again in the next class that what actually is speaking of the tanmatra what the real meaning of tanmatra is we will come to that but today you have just this much of idea That this inertia is actually doesn't speak of laziness. It has something to do with laziness as its expression, but here, that all the ideas are there in your mind, which gets illumined by the external suggestions, they are the sattva, and that gets converted into rajas. Now we'll find a very interesting thing. Is there anything apart from this, what you are experiencing in this world, constantly that's what's happening. It's just a stimuli response conditioning, which has been spoken of as the drishya in this sutra, if we really try to understand it in its proper light. The stimuli is there, that stimuli is actually a suggestion which is illuminating the tamas, the tamas which is already there in my mind that gets illumined. That's if you uh, if you just study our scriptures, they say the three gunas, Sattva Rajatama, is constantly interconverting. They're not something, there's some fixed sattva Rajatama, are fixed, uh, what do you say, the components of nature? They're constantly interchanging. They are like different states. Like the water, sometimes is like ice, sometimes is in vapor form. These three gunas are also the three states. They are not three different. Uh, composites, they're constantly interchanging. The sattva, what do you say, it, 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 um, breaks the tamas, and the tamas gets illumined. And, and once its illumination happens, then the action ensues. Just when I was sleeping, my mind had all those ideas that there was tamas state, it was inert. I woke up, opened my eyes, saw the flower. The thing which was tamas now it gets converted into sattva. Once it gets converted into sattva, I move out. I'm just going, plucking the flower, offering it in the altar, rajas. Now our entire life, is there anything apart from this? nothing. And that is the drishya. And what it has to do with the realization, gradually it will come. But you will find how wonderfully it is actually speaking of the process of perception. It is not going to the details of it. And that way in two sutras, very nicely, it has actually described the process of perception, the process of knowledge. Now the details of the knowledge, and that actually speaks of the Drishya. So we will take this uh, Yoga Sutra is very interesting. The way the approach they have taken is very interesting. We will continue with the study again in the next class, uh, we'll start with 18 Sutra and go for, for a bit in details to understand how the entire evolution. Yoga speaks of evolution, that evolution has nothing to do with the uh, Darwinian evolution. This is evolution of the mind, the way the mind evolves to enable us to see this nature the way we are seeing it. So that has been described here in the 18th Sutra. All the 24 Tattvas are hidden in this 18th and the 19th Sutra. We will take up again in the next class to understand what this Drishya is. And then the drashta will come into picture in the twentieth sutra. So gradually we will continue with the study with these sutras, and then the real practice, the ashtamarga, will uh, be taken uh, up in our study as we continue in this chapter. So with this, we stop our discussion today. Thank you, Swamiji. Yeah, namaskar, namaskar. Yeah, namaskar, 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 Maharaj. Namaskar. Namaskar, Namaskar. Good night. Good night.